asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. Yeah, buddy. This episode, we are answering listener questions, man. We've got one about day trading. Uh, we're going to talk about taking advantage of a VA loan to purchase a home. And we have a question pertaining to student credit cards. I'm excited to get to those three plus two more. Me too, man. I, I love listener question episodes. So fun. Before we actually start answering some of those questions, though, Matt, I wanted to tell you about a, a recent travail I had. Travail. <laughs> yeah, I'm using big words today. Uh, <laughs> down in Orlando. So I, I told you, and I think I mentioned on the show that we, we took the kids to Disney. That's right. Yeah. Uh, earlier it, this year. Yeah. And it was, we had a great time. Disney is prohibitively expensive. <laughs> I don't recommend it to anyone, but, but we had a great time. It was, it was super worth it. We, uh, the kids had a blast. I was super impressed with our girls, six and four, and they both rode some bigger roller coasters. So I was impressed. Nice. With that. Yeah. I feel like that's a good way to do it. Evie's actually been asking a little bit about Six Flags, like like looking ahead towards the summer a little bit. I'm like, you know what? We can totally do Six Flags. We've got one of those here in Atlanta. It's a good way to kind of like test the waters a little bit because I would hate to get down to Disney and there's tons of rides that you can't ride because maybe your kids are too scared or too short. 
Too I short. Don't know. Yeah, too short. That's a, a consideration here. for sure. Yeah, but but mo- I mean, most of the rides there's a lot of rides for smaller kids, and and so yeah, my kids enjoyed the best of both worlds, which was fun. Nice. But the biggest problem I had driving through Orlando is the tolls that they have there. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> to- tolls suck. Tolls all over the place. I will say tolls make a lot of sense. I think they're actually one of the best ways to pay for the roads and to maintain kind of the infrastructure of a city. But as an outsider who doesn't deal with them very often. They suck. Yeah. I just hate having to slow down that much, right? Yes. Like you're cruising along at 75 miles per hour. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to break it to zero, you know, and throw some money in the bin. Especially whatever. if you have a sleeping baby <laughs> and, and like they're like sleeping because of the constant whir of the wheels. The and roar. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so I, at one point I stopped at a toll and I was ready to pay it. But, you know, the thing is with these antiquated toll boxes, if there's nobody there to take the money, well, they're not taking credit cards either. And so you have to have cash on hand. What am I bad at? Having cash on hand. Yeah. So, so good at that. my wife had cash for a bunch of the tolls that we that we hit. But then we had to have exact change of 75 cents for this one toll. We didn't have it. I stop and there's supposed to be brochures there for you to know how to like pay it on the flip side. Like if you didn't have the cash. Right. Yeah. I remember pulling over to the side before, like over off the little office or whatever. Yeah. But... The, they were out of pamphlets. There's nobody manning the station. Oh, snap. And so I'm like, okay, cool. The, I, I owe them 75 cents, but... I, you an outlaw? <laughs> I don't know how to pay it. <laughs> and so there's like a, an email address that you can send an email to. I, I snapped a picture of it so I could email them later nice. when I got home. And I emailed them to ask them about how I could get them their 75 cents. And they... <laughs> <laughs> they just want to make it the most impossible task on the face of the earth. Like, honestly, I'm not sure if I'm going to pay it at this point. So I want you... I, I, I want <laughs> oh, you... So you are going to be an outlaw. I think so. Going to break the law? I don't know if they're going to let me back to into Disney, into Orlando, into the state of Florida in general. But yeah, what's your take on this? Because, you know, when I got the reply email, they're like, yes, please kindly send us a check in a mailed envelope. I mean, the stamp's <laughs> going to cost me as much as the toll itself. And then on top of it, just like with all this information, half of which I don't have or want to give them. And so, yeah, I was just kind of frustrated <laughs> that there's not an easier way to do it. I don't mind the toll system. Just make it easy for me to pay. I agree there, right? Like it's annoying, like having to pay with exact change or even just with cash. It's a huge pain in the butt. Man, how much better would it be if they could just get with the times and they had just like a little Venmo address up there right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or cash app. But dude, you have to pay it because like, because you haven't paid it. Like that's the law, right? Just by, by principle, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's not a lot of money. And so I'm sure it feels silly. To, it <laughs> to, does. It to feels send really a check, silly. Yes. A paper check along for 75 cents, which you probably don't have a ton of those laying around. Paper right. checks. Right. But yeah, I mean, I guess the principle of it, like you have to do it because then like where do you draw the line? It's like, well, is it up to you to decide that like, oh, well, this is $10. It's an honor system and it's kind of annoying, right? Like there's a little bit of a, a slippery slope there. I'm sure that you can easily recognize. <laughs> Well, okay, I'll, then I'll, I'll pay it. If, if you're telling me I need to go through the hassle of mailing off a check to the state of Florida, I'll do it. Because then also, too, like if I did go back and I got caught and arrested and put behind bars or something like that, and then, you know, we'd have to reach out to listeners who live in Orlando to get them to come bail, bail you me out. out. Yeah, so it just it becomes a big hairy mess. So, all right, I'll pay it, but I'll do it under protest. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to make it easy for them, I guess, right? Like maybe you could stick some like some junk mail in there with it as you send it back, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> as long as the payment is in there, I guess they, w- they would have to take it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There so, you go. All right, take my junk mail at the same time, <laughs> state of Florida. Well, what's funny too is that the beer that we're having this episode is actually from Florida, right? Yeah, so Emily and I went by a great brewery there that, that you and I visited a couple years ago called Ellipsis Brewing. They make some awesome beers. And so I grabbed a couple crowlers for us that we could have on the show. This one's called... I'm already pulled over. (laughs) 
fitting a car <laughs> reference, right? While he, uh, he you could not have picked up uh, a more appropriate beer. Right, right. I'm already pulled over. So Joel, you may as well just pay. I should have paid. I <laughs> wish I could have paid right then and there, but I couldn't. But yeah, so this is a raspberry sour and we'll let everybody know what we think of this one at the end of the show. But Matt, for now, let's get on to listener questions. And for everyone listening, anybody that wants to have their listener question featured on a future episode, well, it's super easy to do so. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. Simple instructions there to leave your voice message for us to feature on a future episode. Let's get to the first one. Hey, Matt and Joel. It's Drew currently in South Carolina. Love the podcast. I say currently because I'm in the military and getting ready to move yet again, and I'm hoping to buy a house at my next duty station. My question surrounds the VA loan, hoping for you to shed some light on the intricacies of the VA loan, specifically the decision to put no money down and roll up closing costs into it. I know putting down 20% is the smart choice, and I have money put aside for a down payment, but the market we are moving to is probably going to be too much for me to be able to put down 20% and avoid PMI. Any knowledge or advice would be much appreciated. Thanks. Well, Drew, thanks so much for your question, and thank you as well for your service. We are, we're glad to hear that you're considering a VA loan because a lot of members of the military aren't even aware that that is an option to them. Fewer than 10% of the country's 25 million veterans have taken advantage of the benefits that they've earned with their service. So great consideration. It sounds like you are off to a, a good start. Yeah, Matt, we talked about some of the benefits that are specific to military members and veterans back in episode 166, where we had Doug Norman on, who's a military retiree and a financial independence expert. So Drew, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely worth checking out. Let's quickly, Matt, talk about what a VA loan is. Basically, it is a non-conventional mortgage loan that's issued by private banks but it's backed by the federal government, specifically the Department of Veteran Affairs. That's why it's called a VA loan, right? Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> we got to the bottom of it. <laughs> and the VA loans are specifically helpful to lots of men and women who are serving our country because it allows them to buy a home with no money down while at the same time not having to pay PMI, right? The biggest thing that we have against buying a home without putting more skin in the game is oftentimes the PMI, right? And at the same time, it's a little more risky the, the more leverage you take on. So it's kind of both of those things at the same time. But it, with the VA loan, you're at least taking PMI off the table, which is a, a huge reason we prefer people to put more money down when buying a home. Well, before we dive into the VA loan, let's talk about purchasing a home. Uh, Drew, there are some pitfalls when it comes to buying a home if you'll be moving frequently. The biggest being the money uh, that goes towards closing costs that you experience up front, and then not to mention the incredibly high costs associated with selling the home uh, when the time comes for that. And then beyond that, it's typically years of paying your monthly payment before you even have a decent amount that is going towards principal, where you're building up equity in the home. A lot of times that's the argument. You think, okay, I want to make sure I'm you know, at least paying myself. I want to make sure that you know, my monthly payment that goes towards my housing, that that is building my wealth. But in reality, those first few years, it's, it's a small sliver of your mortgage payment that actually is going to the principal. Yeah, totally. And uh, that's another reason why, Drew, before we shoot down this idea, because I think there are ways you can make it work, we need to at least mentioned renting. Renting isn't all that bad. We've talked about this before in an episode, Matt, that we did called Why Your Home is a Terrible Investment. And because for a lot of people, they think of a home as a, a great investment, but oftentimes it doesn't turn out to be the case, usually because of how we buy homes. But you miss out on all the major expenses up front when you rent, plus any surprise home expenses that inevitably come up because you know what, that's the landlord's duty to fix those things. So if you think you're going to be in this new location for seven years or less, 
just rent. We, we would advise that. Uh, buying is probably just not a great idea for you, Drew. However, if you're really set on buying your own place, even though you're not going to be there for at least seven years, you definitely need to be comfortable being a long distance landlord to take less of a financial hit in the transaction. So yeah, Joel, let's go ahead and talk about being a landlord, right? Even though you can't purchase an investment property with a VA loan, you can purchase a home as an owner-occupant and then you can move out. <laughs> That's my favorite way yeah. to buy homes and become a landlord. Yeah, seriously. Um, it, but typically, you need to occupy that home for at least 12 months. There are some workarounds. that kind of depends on your specific situation. But if renting your place out is likely, make sure that you crunch the numbers of this home as an investment property. The 1% rule can be helpful here. And that's when if you're pulling in at least 1% of the purchase price of the home every month in rent, then it likely will make a lot of sense from a financial standpoint. You want to make sure that you're not losing money every single month by becoming a landlord. Yeah, Matt, it sounds like Drew is probably going to have to think about this purchase in kind of like a hybrid situation where maybe the first three, four, five years he's living in the home and then potentially renting it out as long as he's comfortable being a landlord. And if that's the case, like the 1% rule, obviously still a great thing to aim for. But at minimum, you know, we would encourage Drew to, to crunch the numbers and not be losing money on that home every at month. At the very least. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to be a landlord in that situation. Yeah, well, and especially too, if he's going to have management, right? Like that's going to be an additional cost associated with it if he doesn't want being a landlord to be a part of his actual life. Yeah. And, and it's really, really hard to manage real estate from afar without having a professional manager. And so, yeah, we recommend that if you do move away from the place where you live, unless you're renting it out to like a friend or somebody you know well, that you do have a professional management company take over for you because it's just really hard to manage from afar. Uh, but Drew, it sounds like you're acting in a financially responsible way. Uh, you have the money saved up, right? But you're just preferring to use it for other things and taking out a VA loan. So that sounds like a solid option for you. It allows you to keep some of that savings intact, hopefully funneling that towards investments and saving for your future. Uh, also too, Matt, I think it's important to, to quickly note that the PenFed Foundation provides down payment assistance through uh, something called a, their Dream Makers program. So Drew, we would encourage you to take a look there. Y you know what? It, it might make the, the buying of a home even more of a, a slam dunk if you're willing to become a landlord and you get down payment assistance through the PenFed Credit Union and their Dream Makers program. I mean, that's just kind of a, a cool thing and something to be aware of. Nice. All right, man. We're going to take a quick break. But then after that, we're going to hear from a student up in New York City. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. 
Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we're back. And next question up. Well, a student in New York had a couple of questions for us, actually. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Esther, and I'm from New York City. I'm in my early 20s and currently in graduate school. I'm looking to open my first credit card. I understand that for people with no income such as myself, some options include student credit cards, secured credit cards, and being added onto my parents' credit card. Assuming that student credit cards are the best option of those, what recommendations do you have for all the types of student credit cards that are offered by different banks and institutions? I don't normally spend very much money on myself. Secondly, should I apply for a credit card and then wait to be declined before applying for a different one, or should I apply for several at once? Third, once I do have my first credit card, is it true that I should never close it to retain the length of the credit history? Fourth, what disadvantages are there to having credit? I've never heard any cons. Fifth. What resources do you generally recommend for people like me who have zero knowledge and lack the vocabulary to really understand personal finances? I think that How to Money is a great resource, and I'm thankful to be able to learn so much from each of your episodes. 
keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. Esther, uh, thanks so much for the question. Great to hear from you. You mean uh, questions. Oh, that's true. She kind of <laughs> snuck a few in there. You know, one thing you said that kind of raised a red flag, uh, which is that you don't currently have any income. And so as you begin your personal finance journey, you want to make sure that you are using credit cards properly, right? As a tool and as a method of payment for expenses that you would incur anyways. You want to make sure that you're not tempted to overspend. Um, if that's the case, you obviously want to you want to avoid that happening altogether. And if that's not something that you can avoid, you might want to actually avoid credit cards altogether. Yeah. And I think one important thing to mention too, before we get into Esther's the particular questions, there's something else that we can bring to light, which is, is that getting authorized user status uh, on one of your parents' cards, let's say, if you, if you have parents that handle their, their money and their credit well, is a good move. And it's easy for them to do that from their account. Once they've logged in, they basically add you to their account using your name, your date of birth, and your social. Uh, and it, if they don't handle their credit well, though, skip this step because you don't want to be <laughs> an authorized user on someone's account. Basically, what they're doing is they're they're adding you and, and hopefully not giving you the card, but just letting you benefit from their good credit score. And so that's definitely one way to kind of skip the line, essentially, of building credit. And you're kind of gifted credit based on someone else handling it well. And that's one of the ways that you can ensure that you're going to get qualified for one of these student credit cards is by knowing your credit score. Uh, you can sign up at Credit Karma or CreditScorecard.com in, in order to be aware of just the different movements and what's happening with your score. If you have a solid score, like you can maybe skip the student card altogether uh, and go straight to a full-on you know, real-world credit card. But if not, Discover Card, they offer some of the best cards specifically for students on the market. What's important to note, though, is to go ahead and make sure and get a card while you're still in school. It becomes more difficult after graduation to get a card and begin that credit building process. But while you're in school as a student, you know, it's not a huge deal to the credit card companies that you don't have much of an income, you know, that you might have some debt. Uh, there's a little bit of leeway. But once you are out in the real world and you got that job, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. For those folks, typically they have to resort to secured credit cards, which involves like a cash deposit and you have a lower credit limit and it's just a bigger pain. It, it could take you 18 months to graduate from a, a secured card to, to a big boy or big girl credit card, right? So taking advantage of the fact that you are a student and you do have access to those student credit cards and potentially if you have a good score, uh, even better credit cards with, with better rewards. And Esther, you asked about the application process, applying for one card at a time is the way to go. But but since you'll typically find out instantaneously, if you qualify for that credit card, since you're likely applying online, you could immediately try it again. You probably don't want to apply for more than a couple as multiple hard inquiries will ding your score even more. So that's why it's important to know your score when you're applying. And it just kind of gives you a sense of what cards you're going to be able to get when you do apply. Uh, but like Matt said, I think getting a student credit card shouldn't be an issue since you're a student. And the cool thing about Credit Karma, Matt, which you mentioned, is they basically telegraph to you whether or not you're going to be approved for a credit card. And I kind of like how they've done that. They know so much about you now that... They know everything about you. <laughs> it feels like that. It totally feels like that. <laughs> they know Joel loves raspberry beers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying this one. And, and so, yeah, they know so much about you that they can tell you with almost... 100% certainty whether or not you're going to be able to get that card or not. So you don't even bother applying if you're going to get rejected. And then you asked about 
not closing that credit card, right? And that is completely true. Keeping your first card around for a long time, even if it's not the card that you use all the time, but just keeping that card open has massive advantages for keeping your credit score high. The only cons to having a credit card is just the temptation to overspend. But there are actually no disadvantages of having credit. It's actually not having credit or having a bad credit score that you should be worried about. We've previously talked about how, you know, bad credit, like it works its way into so many different aspects of your life. And so I think it's smart, Esther, that you're getting started and you're building up your credit score now. Yeah, for sure. All right. And Esther also asked about other resources for learning about money. Well, books, I think... Can well, be first really- of all, this podcast, for sure. Um, this is all you need, Esther. <laughs> I don't turn anywhere else. <laughs> I think it is important to have like a number of, of wise voices kind of filling your, your brain, your ears with money advice. And so, yeah, we would say too, like... We, we try to do a really good job on this podcast of expounding, you know, financial, personal finance basics, personal finance information in an easy to understand way that is helpful. But having multiple viewpoints, having multiple different people who have been studying and thinking about these subjects for a number of years, I think it's really helpful to read a bunch of books too, right? And so I, I would say make it a goal to read three or four classic personal finance books. Uh, a couple of recommendations, like The Richest Man in Babylon is kind of a, uh, a good one to be able to glean some timeless principles. There's a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. It's a terrible name. It sounds scammy. <laughs> but <laughs> Ramit Sethi, who was a guest on our show, yeah, I don't know, a number of months ago, he kind of wrote more of a modern guide with practical, actionable tips. And he's spot on in, in, in almost all the advice he gives in that. We, we uh, align with Ramit on a lot of things. Yeah, and Ramit actually lives in New York City as well. So you could probably look him up and you know do some stalking. Show up at his apartment. <laughs> Say hi. <laughs> Ask for him to sign your copy, right? <laughs> Yeah. And one more book that we would recommend you check out, Esther, especially as you get more and more into investing in particular, is the the book, The Simple Path to Wealth. And that was written by our friend JL Collins, who was on the podcast not too long ago. So yeah, we try to get a lot of these people that are, are well known in the space that are kind of experts in, in certain fields, in certain segments of personal finance uh, to come on the show too. And yeah, Basically, though, there are a lot of timeless principles, but there's also a lot of change in personal finance over the years, right? There's the SECURE Act, which we've talked about on the show. There's all sorts of things that happen every year, tax code changes, stuff like that. And so, you know, uh, at least on a podcast form, uh, we can keep up with the moving parts. Whereas a written book that was written five or 10 years ago, it's not completely out of date. There's a lot of good information in there, but keeping up with the changes in personal finance, whether it's through a podcast or or reading newspapers, we would say that's important too. So yeah, make sure you, that you're not just reading a book that's 10 years old and assuming that every thing is the exact same today because yeah, things do change over the years. All right, man. So let's go ahead and hear from a listener now who has a question about investing as well as the student loan forgiveness program. Hi guys. My name is Jeffrey Han. I am from Jacksonville, Florida. I just had a quick question regarding the Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA or or a 403B. I know you guys advocate for a Roth IRA being the the best uh, retirement account to contribute to but I think I'm in a special situation. I just want to get your thoughts. I'm currently doing the public student loan forgiveness program, which you contribute your minimum payment for 10 years if you work for a not-for-profit organization. And after that, the remainder of the loan is forgiven. They base your loan payment on your net income. So the more you contribute to your 403B or 401k, the less uh, monthly payment you have to do. And obviously you want to pay the least amount of money to the loan since you're gonna get it forgiven. So my question is, in this circumstance, would it still be better to contribute to a Roth or should I continue to max out my 403B? Thank you. 
Well, Joel, before we answer Jeffrey's question, uh, he's from Jacksonville. And you and I, we've been there a few times with our wives, with our families. And I'm specifically thinking of the episode we recorded with our wives at Jacksonville Beach. That was a lot of fun, man. We ought to do that again soon. Yeah, we didn't do it on the beach, though, because and we yeah, got yeah. seagulls sand, and crap. Sand in our microphones, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But yeah, no, that was a fun episode. And yeah, this summer, we're going to have them on again. So that should be really fun. That's uh, the plan, at least. That's the plan. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah, Jeffrey brings up a great question, Matt. And I think uh, basically our brief answer would be do neither of those things, right? Should we elaborate or should we leave it at that? <laughs> That's it. Do neither. <laughs> no, yeah, for real. Jeffrey, don't max out your 403B or contribute to a Roth IRA, at least for now, right? We do love our Roths, but you are in a different position, like you mentioned, lowering your AGI, your adjusted gross income, in order to have a smaller student loan payment. That is a really smart path to take. And if you are contributing to a Roth, you won't be able to do that. Yeah, the Roth is a great tool for most people, but it's not necessarily the optimum strategy for everyone. And Jeffrey is a perfect example here of when the Roth is not the best move. But let's talk about 403Bs for a second, Matt. That's Jeffrey's uh, retirement plan at work. And those are typically available to folks that work at nonprofits and teachers. And when you contribute to a 403B, it does lower your adjusted gross income. So it makes it look like you make less money to the federal government, which is great. You're going to pay less taxes and it's going to affect how much you're paying on your student loans, right? The problem with 403Bs though, and the reason we don't typically like them is because of the limited investment options you have. And those investment options are laden with fees. Those fees can take a massive bite out of your nest egg. Not every article I read about 403Bs, they just look nastier and nastier and nastier. There are surrender charges involved in 403Bs. There are so many issues with these plans altogether. And you know what? A typical expense ratio that we're talking about at a company like Vanguard or Fidelity fluctuates somewhere between literally zero and like 0.1%. And a lot of times these 403B plans are, are have fees above 2%. And that the, is crazy. The sort of bite that takes out of That's your eventual ridiculous. retirement is massive. And so, yeah, if you can avoid investing the majority of your money in a fee-laden 403B, we would recommend avoiding it. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the 403B too, is that like they do look like 401Ks, like on the surface, like how they behave, what you can contribute to them. Uh, it's all very similar, except when it comes to the fees. And that's more than enough to cause you to stay away completely. Yeah, run away like Usain Bolt fast. <laughs> so Jeffrey, so that, you, know, you might be asking then, well, what do I do? Uh, what we'd recommend you to do then is to make sure that you are getting a match if your employer offers one, right? Since you can't beat a 100% return on your money. But then after that, you might not want to go too hard investing in your 403B because of those fees. Instead, open up a traditional IRA, not a Roth, but a traditional IRA with one of the low-cost investment companies we love and max that out instead. You want to ensure that you are lowering that AGI, which then in turn lowers that minimum payment that you're paying for your student loan. It's, it's like a double win, right? Because you are lowering your AGI by investing for your retirement. And that also reduces the amount that you have to pay towards your student loan. And then assuming that you are putting your money in, you know, to a low cost provider like Vanguard or Fidelity, it's like a triple win. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a triple word score. Uh, you can't go wrong by, by doing that. And Jeffrey, I think this will be great as well, because 10 years of doing this, you're going to have a nice nest egg saved up. And then on top of that, you're also going to have sort of the reinforced behavior, you know, like you do anything for 10 years, you're probably going to keep doing that. Well, after that 10 years too, his student loans are going to be forgiven too. He's going to be sitting pretty. That's going to be so nice. Right? Yeah. Jeffrey, you're going to be in a good spot. I like where your head's at in lowering your AGI to lower those student loan payments, but just go with the traditional IRA instead of the fee-laden 403B and you'll be all set. All right, Matt, let's hit a couple more questions, including that one about day trading right after the break. 
Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. 
All right, Joel, we're back from the break, taking listener questions. And this is going to be a great question because we're going to talk about two of our favorite things. Hey, Matt and Joel. My name is Ashley from Provo, Utah. First of all, thank you both so much for the work that you're doing. I'm really grateful to have your podcast, especially because I can find the world of finances pretty intimidating. And you're both doing an amazing job at lowering that barrier to entry. So I have two questions. Feel free to answer both or one of them. First of all, my husband and I currently bank with the dreaded Wells Fargo, and I've been wanting to change banks for a while now. I know you guys have recommended a few different online banks like Ally or CIT. The only reason that we've hesitated is because we're unsure of what's going to happen to our credit scores. I myself have been with my original bank for over 10 years, and the only credit cards that I have are at Wells Fargo. What is involved with switching banks, and if we switch, will I have to cancel my credit cards with my old bank? My second question is, a good friend of mine is currently working for a company that teaches people how to day trade. I've been wanting to start taking the classes. I went to a free orientation, but the classes themselves cost several thousand dollars, and frankly, I'm unsure if it's a scam or not. What is your opinion of day trading? and of the companies that claim to teach you how to day trade and quote unquote hack the stock market. Thank you. Actually, it's a trap. <laughs> uh, well, it may not be a trap, but we definitely don't think fondly of day trading. And you know, we'll get to that question here in a minute. But uh, Ashley, thanks so much for the kind words, though. We really appreciate it. Um, First, before that, we got to get Ashley out of Wells Fargo. Like, yes, exactly. <laughs> like definitely ditch that Wells Fargo bank account. And I feel like I can, you know, we can kind of tease a little bit. I personally used to bank with Wells Fargo and I'm proud to say that I have kicked them to the curb long ago. Hi, I'm, my name's Matt and I used to bank with Wells Fargo. <laughs> there should be a group. <laughs> right. There's so many issues, Matt, of course, and we've, we've talked about them on the show, but the former CEO of Wells Fargo is barred from ever working in the banking industry again. And <laughs> That's so ridiculous. Those kind of th- those kind of things never happen, typically, it seems like. When, when it comes to white-collar crime, there are very few consequences in, in, in our current day and age. And, and that's sad because there are legitimate things going on where people are being taken advantage of and hurt and their credit score is maligned. But to, to see a, at least a small piece of justice because of the way that Wells took advantage of their customers, I love seeing that. You know, it's nice. It's nice to know that at least something beyond just the the slap of the wrist actually occurred. And plus, it's just such a ridiculous thing to be banned for life. (laughs) Like you had to have done something so terrible. Like what if they're like, Joel, you can't be on podcast ever again. Like like you must have really screwed up, man. It's like being banned from baseball, right? I mean, (laughs) look what the Houston Astros did. And none of those guys got banned from baseball. I mean, like that's another thing. Come on. I feel like (laughs) the Astros owe all of us a little bit more than what happened. But actually, you know, you did mention Ally. Like, I bank with Ally. They're great. Joel banks with CIT. But there's lots of great options, like Joel mentioned. There's Capital One. They're great. We've heard great things about Marcus as well. Just look to some of those online options. But don't close the credit cards, right? You mentioned those. If you were to do that, that would only hurt your credit score. You can move your checking and your savings accounts without having to close your credit cards. Just be sure to get another credit card. That will definitely offer you some superior rewards to the cards that you currently have. And know that your credit score will not be changed by where you do your banking, right? Like wherever it is you have your checking account or your savings accounts, but it would definitely be affected by closing those credit card accounts. So in that case, you want to make sure that you leave them open, even if you're not going to use them. The only instance that we might recommend you close those credit cards is if they have an annual fee. And at that point, it's up to you whether it is worth keeping those cards around in order to maintain that history of credit. But if you did want to kick those fees to the curb, 
we'd recommend that you get those new credit cards open first and then close those old Wells Fargo credit cards. Yeah, man, I think we need to debunk a myth too that switching banks is hard. I think a lot of people, because they assume that it's going to be this extended process or that it's going to take a lot of time, they just don't do it. And they stay with a crummy bank. And not every crummy bank is is taking advantage of their customers or has done so like Wells Fargo. But a lot of banks just are providing poor customer service and zero rate of return on your savings. So we would say, get rid of those banks and go to a place that actually does pay you. And so yeah, switching banks isn't that hard, especially if you're opening up an account with one of our favorite online banks. Open a new account and then link it to your old account, transfer money over. It's super simple. Your new bank might even offer like a switching service to help you transfer over auto payments and direct deposits. And if they don't, well, do it manually. It's not that difficult. If you want to play it safe, keep the old account around with some money in it for a few months to ensure that you're good to go and that no automatic payments get missed. Basically, it's easier. And once you get settled at an online bank, I mean, the services are so robust with the ones that you mentioned and and some of the other ones out there that you're not going to miss a day of banking with an old institution doing it the old school way. You're going to be so thankful that you migrated to a bank that actually pays you money on your savings, that, that pays you interest, and at the same time offers a bunch of other services, eliminates fees pretty much altogether, and then offers other services in addition that kind of make the whole banking experience more robust. I mean, online banking is just where it's at. And then actually, to your question about day trading, like we mentioned, that is not something that we are fans of. You know, day trading in and of itself is not necessarily a scam, but those classes are often incredibly expensive and offer very little in return. Those thousands of dollars that you're mentioning that you would spend for those classes would be far better spent as an initial investment into a Roth IRA where you're invested in widely diversified index funds or a target date retirement fund. Yeah, man, I think day trading is one of those things. I think it was hot in the 90s back when E-Trade was, was like first getting launched and they had the baby E-trade, commercials. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, was that the 90s? That was like the early 2000s. Oh, maybe, maybe it's the early 2000s. You're older than you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, day trading was like hot. You're right. Yeah, it was like the early 2000s. That's when it was hot. And now I think it is back to a certain extent and, and people are seeing the hot market and they think they can get in there and they can make a quick buck. And actually the way that these people that are pitching day trading and day trading classes are making a quick buck is by you paying them thousands of dollars. It's via the classes. Yeah. And if they were super experts <laughs> this? How come they're only charging you a few thousand bucks to learn their massive secrets where they can unlock millions, right? And you know, I do think day trading has gotten more popular with the younger generations. With the the 20-something-year-olds and and 30s, their professional investing career has only seen a bull market, right? Like this is something we've discussed before. And so you look around and you see just the market doing nothing but climb, at least until recently. You think, well, I can't lose. It makes a lot of sense. It seems like it's going to be pretty easy to, to beat the market and to pick the winning stocks. But in reality, that's not always the case. As we've seen, there are corrections and you know there is not a way for you to hack the stock market. Yeah. And, and there are people too, Matt, they're, they're always looking for an edge, no matter what the stock market conditions are. There are people short selling Tesla and then Tesla ramps up another like 20% in the, uh, like a week's time. Uh, that was a couple of months ago. And there's just stories in the Wall Street Journal of people losing hundreds of millions of dollars because they shorted the stock. So there's always people looking for an edge. There's always people looking for a way to make a quick dollar. And that's just not our philosophy. We think that it's really, really hard to do that, if not impossible to do that well. There's not even a system out there that someone can teach you in order to do it well. And so the only surefire way to build wealth over time is to go about it in a really simple manner and be in it for the long haul. All right, Matt, let's get to the next question from a listener in Tampa about having too many credit cards. Good morning, Joel and Matt. This is Chris from Tampa. 
I uh, love the show. been listening since the beginning. I really appreciate it. I have a question. Now that my credit has recovered, I'm getting a lot of credit card offers in the mail. And I was just curious, is there too high a number of new credit cards to apply for? Uh, the percentage rate looks really good on them. I already have a couple credit cards. I was just curious if there's a danger of having too many, say four or five credit cards after you've recovered. Thanks again and take care. Hey, Chris, congrats on getting your credit score back up. Sounds like you're making some good decisions when it comes to your money. There are two main dangers in applying for too many credit cards. The, the first is that you'll use them poorly and rack up lots of debt. And the second one is the initial hit to your credit score. So this is something you want to make sure that you're aware of uh, if you're planning to take out a loan soon. Maybe you are house shopping or, or even just considering a refinance. You may not be able to get that nice interest rate that is being advertised if your credit score takes enough dings and you get below a certain threshold. Yeah. And and Chris, you honestly shouldn't be paying much attention at all to the interest rate of a credit card because you shouldn't be paying interest. If you have a balance, we would suggest transferring it to a zero balance credit card. We've got an article about that on the site, how you can transfer to a credit card and avoid paying interest at least while you do have a balance. But really, the, the goal is to not pay interest on credit cards ever. And so I don't even know what the interest rates are on any of my cards because I never end up paying it. Uh, because I pay my balance in full on time every single month. And if you don't have a balance, well, it's not necessarily best just to sign up uh, for a card based on the offer you get in the mail. Often the best sign-up offers and the best terms for credit cards are found online. So we would recommend you actually kind of dig into how you spend your money and get a credit card that is best suited for you and offers you the best rewards based on the kind of spending that you do. We've also got an article about that on the site too, that'll help you identify, okay, how is it that I primarily spend my money and what card do I need that's gonna uh, give me the best rewards based on the way I spend. And you can find that, by the way, at howtomoney.com slash credit cards. Yeah, that's the best way to do it, man. You want to make sure you're maximizing those rewards. No doubt. And Chris, you know, you're talking about a specific quantity, a certain number of credit cards. And we think having four or five credit cards in your wallet from different issuers with different perks, like that can be an awesome way for you to take advantage of some of those benefits if you pay the balance in full every single month. I personally have... Uh, Joel, drum roll, please. <laughs> Four, <laughs> do, do you want to guess how many cards that Kate and I have? Uh, 14. Are you serious? Wait, really? That's exactly how many I counted. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Super wild most, shot. Most of them are mine, but I mean, Kate... Kate has a bunch as well, but yeah, like fourteen. And do I? I don't use every single one of those cards, but we, you know, we have those open. Only a couple of them have annual fees, but we get enough benefit from those that it more than pays for itself. But yeah, fourteen cards. I don't think I would recommend most folks to have that many, but <laughs> right. I also have them organized in my Excel spreadsheets, and they're labeled as to which ones are supposed to be used for whichever specific scenario I'm in. It's super nerdy, but this is the kind of stuff I'm into. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if <laughs> if you're really into maximizing credit card rewards, most people are going to be- benefit from having somewhere between what, like three and six cards. I think that makes a whole lot of sense, right? And you know, the the everyday 2% cash back for all purchases that don't offer you the higher awards for specific category purchases, like for instance, dining out or gasoline or buying travel, you know, find credit cards that are going to give you even higher benefits in those categories and then use a 2% card, a 2% cashback card for, for every other purchase. But yeah, I, hopefully that helps, Chris. Again, congrats on getting your credit score uh, way back up there. That's that's huge. And I hope you find a, a couple credit cards that are going to work best for the way you spend. That's how we like to approach it. And the best thing, Matt, about credit card rewards they don't get taxed. <laughs> I love that. That's true, man. I still can't believe you guessed the number of freaking cards that I had. Dude, mind meld, buddy. 
Yeah, I guess we're best so. friends for a reason. Or you're like going through my crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe Psycho. I was behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but let's take it back to the beer. This episode, you and I were drinking, uh, and I'm already pulled over. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I think it's just so ridiculous that this is the beer that you happen to pick up at Ellipsis. And then we told the thing about the, the, the toll booth. Yeah. All right. I have to pay that after we're done <laughs> creating this episode. Well, first, what'd you think about this beer? Dude, this beer is, I mean, I'm in heaven right now. This beer is so good. It's raspberry, it's sour, and it's so raspberry heavy. It tastes like raspberry jam. I would put this stuff on my toast in the morning and eat it before I go to work every single day because... It just uh, is power packed with just a massive amount of raspberries. So I think I, I like lightly fruited beers too, but this one feels like it's got raspberry puree, like just massive amounts of juice shoved into the beer. So I'm happy. I, <laughs> shoved into it. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell how thrilled I am to be drinking this, but You're I'm so stoked. I'm very happy. It was, it was excellent. Yeah, this was a good one. Uh, it had a nice kind of ruby, I mean, raspberry color, right? Like it's, it's nice and kind of ruby red. To me, I, f- I felt like this reminded me so much of Captain Crunch Crunch Berries, specifically because it had that berry flavor going on. But it also had a nice weedy finish that oh. sometimes you get from a uh, Berliner Weiss, you know, like yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, I wasn't allowed to have Captain Crunch, by the way, I've grown up right now. Oh, really? That was one of the, was one of our treat cereals uh, for a couple of years. No, there. man, it was off-brand cereal all the way for, for us, for oh, sure. nice. Actually, if I think about it, I don't even want to consider the amount of like sugar that was in those cereals. Right, right. right. We consumed a lot of it. But yeah, I really enjoy this beer, man. I'm glad you swung by Ellipsis. And you mentioned that you and I had been there. We swung by there a few years ago uh, for FinCon back when it was in Orlando. So that was a, a fun little brewery that you and I got to visit while we were down there. We went there with a few of our friends. Our nerdy financial buddies. Yeah, exactly. And it was fun to share this one with you, buddy. Yeah, man. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. For folks that want show notes for this episode or to check out some of the articles that, that we referenced during this episode, just go to howtomoney.com and you can find those waiting for you there. Yeah, and Joe, we always enjoy taking listener questions. So if you'd like to submit a question that you would like to hear us uh, answer on the show, go to howtomoney.com forward slash ask. All right, man. Well, that's going to be it. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. We out of here. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.